Welcome to the Sanity Pod, honest human stories from the front lines of startup life. Our mission is to normalize the ups and downs of creating something from nothing and the challenges common to every leader, such that we might all feel a little less alone in the journey. Welcome. We are so glad you're here. We are on full on baby countdown because yeah. our due date is Thursday. Oh my God. <laughs> but like, don't know when the baby's coming. Yeah, we might need to like pause this recording in the middle. <laughs> yeah, it would make it a, a hell of an episode. <laughs> right. Today, we welcome Lindsay Blakely to the pod. Lindsay is the managing editor of Inc.com and LA's Inc. bureau chief. I met Lindsay at an investor hosted dinner in Beverly Hills a couple of years ago. We realized we had a shared curiosity regarding the human side of startup life. That curiosity resulted in a piece in this September's Inc., but also in an ongoing conversation around topics surrounding the founder journey. Many of the founders I spend time with as a coach face shared challenges, including depression, anxiety, burnout, and questions of whether they are enough, themes I too faced in my time as a founder and CEO. Lindsay has spoken with hundreds of founders over her years as a reporter. She is therefore in an interesting position to help us normalize parts of the founder experience that can be hard to see clearly in our own heads. Lindsay also shares some practical advice on how to connect with reporters and share your own story in an authentic way. I'm excited for you to meet Lindsay. So yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. I'm not used to being the one who's being interviewed. So <laughs> <laughs> I might try to turn it around on you at some point. Well, I'll yeah. hold back. I'll hold back. <laughs> uh, feel free. Um, well, why don't I start by just giving you some space to introduce yourself and share who you are and the work you do, and we'll go from there. Sure. So my name is Lindsay Blakely, and I'm currently the managing editor of Inc.com. Um, and I've been at Inc. almost 10 years, which seems like a lifetime in this industry. And, you know, one thing I think is sort of interesting to my story is I never intended to be a business reporter. I went to grad school for journalism. And when it came time to choose kind of which track, thematically anyway, that I wanted to study, one of the first thoughts I had was I'm staying as far away from economic and business reporting as possible. So I graduated from Northwestern's Medill School of Journalism. And of course, the first opportunity that I found out of school was at a business magazine. It's no longer around today, but you might remember it. It was called Business 2.0. I do remember Business 2.0. Yeah, it was, you know, it had a really nice streak. And then, you know, the dot-com bust happened and the magazine kind of busted itself. But it was such a great training ground, not only for just learning the craft of journalism, but, you know, that's that's where I really learned to be a business journalist. And and it's also where I learned that even with business stories, every story is about a human being, why they make the decisions they make, their motivations. And that's that's really sort of what has kept me in business journalism for so long. Um, and it's particularly why I like writing about entrepreneurs. And I would say why I've stayed at Inc. for 10 years. You know, every entrepreneur has their own fascinating backstory. And it's so fun and, and so fulfilling to, to find out what that is with every person. Having covered a lot of different areas of business, 
but also honed in a lot on the stories of entrepreneurs. One question that's just popping up for me as you're noting that is, do you think there's something different about entrepreneurs than maybe broadly speaking, a, another executive in business? And, and if so, what comes up for you having had such a broad view across so many different individuals? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I do think there's something different. I will say from, from a journalist's perspective, one thing that tends to be very different about entrepreneurs as opposed to just you know an executive at a company is I find that entrepreneurs are willing to frequently, this isn't the rule, but they're, they're frequently willing to sort of let you in more on their journey because it's a very personal journey. Whereas, and I have reported a, a little bit on, on sort of larger companies or publicly traded companies, and I find that the executives there, it's not as personal for them. And so they, whether consciously or, or, or unconsciously, start to kind of recede into the background of, of sort of the larger story of, of the company. And that just doesn't happen with the entrepreneur. You know, the, the story is, is always built around who they are. You know, and I, I don't like to generalize that you know, there are a lot of sort of statistics and supposed data out there about how much entrepreneurs are risk takers or, you know, what what sort of traits define an entrepreneur. And I, I'm not sure that, you know, individuals can be reduced to, you know, a set amount of traits. But like I said, I do think there's there's maybe a tendency for founders, you know, maybe it is because they are taking a risk to start something from nothing, you know, when they tell their story, they think, well, I've got, I've got nothing to lose here. I'm going to open up and, and talk about it. Yeah, that makes sense. I love that you noted that you were kind of a reticent business reporter. <laughs> and I'm wondering if that's part of why we got along when we first sat down together. Uh, I'm remembering parts of my own history where I was a psychology major out of school. And if you'd asked me an undergrad, if I would ever be a business person, I would have cringed. And, uh, given you a sharp no. So it's <laughs> funny to me that we're sitting here many years later, you yeah. doing business reporting and me having spent so many years as an entrepreneur and still never self-identifying as a business person. Mm -hmm. I love that we're meeting in the middle and talking about the human portions of business, uh, which I think is the most interesting part to both of us, it sounds like. So very excited yeah. to be here with you today. I am too. I thought an interesting place for us to start and this is a little bit self-serving because this is a conversation I wish that I'd listened to 10 years ago. But I think for a lot of founders and startup leaders who have an element of their job that is about building the brand and telling the story, that the idea of how to connect with reporters and the idea that reporters are actually people behind these stories that we read is a little daunting and just feels far off. And there was something when you and I sat down that for me felt different than prior experiences with reporters. And I'm, I'm interested to unpack that. But I thought where we might start was simply when I sit down and coach founders on fundraising, something that we do is talk about venture capitalists and who they are and where they come from and what drives them and what the motivational structures are like and the fact that they're humans that have their own worries and what keeps them up at night and what are they trying to solve by meeting with founders and I always find that to be a really helpful place to begin an exploration. And I, I'm curious here to turn that toward the partnership between, in this case, business leaders and reporters, and to explore that a bit. Yeah. 
I, I, you know, as you noted, we are, we are people right behind these voice recorders and, and laptops. And, you know, I think the most fruitful relationships that I've had with founders and, and maybe the ones behind the stories that I'm most proud of, what happens there is, is a, is a human connection, you know, so I, I get story ideas a variety of ways, you know, I get pitches from PR people, I meet people at events the way the way I met you. And I mean, a piece of news is important, right? That's, that's sort of what gives a story urgency. But I'm always looking for what's the bigger story there. If it's a, you know, a new, interesting product, I want to know, you know, what's what's the personal story of, of the, the person whose mind, you know, this, this idea sprung from what's what's the motivation there. And so for me, it's not enough to hear, here's a new company launching, here's how much they raised, here's this great product. There needs to be a lot more context around, around that idea. And I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this point. And I mean, no disrespect whatsoever to PR professionals, because I've had a number of great relationships with them and, and many of them do their jobs so well. But I will say that Again, the stories that that I'm most proud of are, are the ones that I feel like are most fruitful. Frequently, those ideas were not mediated through a PR person, and I think I think there's a good reason for that. and And that's because when you have two people that are connecting, you know, over an idea, one is a writer who's excited about telling the story; the other is, you know, the person who wants to to share their story. In a way, like having someone between those two people trying to steer the angle or or the conversation can really feel cumbersome. So, if, for instance, I mean, this reminds me of of how the the idea for for this story that I wrote about you came about, and and that was that we met at an event that was just supposed to be kind of off the record between some founders and some media types, and you made a comment. We were going around a circle, I remember, and everyone had to answer the question. I think it was, what are you focused on in in the new year? And I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, but there was something in the the way you answered that question that immediately sparked for me this idea, like, there's something more to that story. And, And honestly, I don't think this story would have come about if, again, it had been pitched by someone else who hadn't actually lived the experience. I think it's super interesting. And I want to go deeper there in a moment on kind of coaching that you might provide to leaders that are just beginning to think about how to build relationships with people like you, particularly the human to human relationship that it sounds like you believe the more interesting stories come from. But I think context in our meeting might be interesting to provide because it was part of a a large turning point for me. It very much ties into what you're sharing about the most interesting stories coming from actual authentic human connection instead of whether it's through a PR specialist or any other way, some like pitch of a story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was this dinner and it was at this like $30 million mansion in Beverly Hills. And mm-hmm. I remember looking it up on Zillow because that's what I do when I go to some crazy mansion, which is very rare, but I was very curious. And I I pulled up in front of this kind of tech leader media networking event. And I almost never go to those because I find them so 
mostly I just find them like very triggering. Like every part of me that's mm. like feels like an outsider in social settings, but can kind of pull it off, but hates to do it. Like it just makes me cringe. And I was only there because we were in the midst of a of a sale process for my company at the time. And I remember thinking when I got the invite to that, like, oh man, like I never go to these networking things, but I have no idea what I'm going to be doing a couple of years from now. Like maybe I should start going to these. And then as soon as I pulled up in front, I immediately regretted it. (laughs) But something that drove my answering of that question that I think is interesting and strange context is when we were going through the sale process with the business, I was working with my own coach at the time and I was chatting with him about similar themes of like, man, like all these meetings and they're so draining. And it was like the six month ordeal, the process. And one of the things that he challenged me on, he said, he said, you know, something that you might invite yourself to do is to show up to each conversation with a question of what would it be like to be in this conversation as authentically Matt? And I think what he was doing was inviting me into allowing this grind of a sale process to have a human element and an element of growth for me. And so I remember that night sitting in this, I don't even know how big it was. What was it? Like 80 people in this like massive around this circle or something crazy. And whatever the question was, it was something like, what's a question you're carrying going into the next year or something like Mm -hmm. that. And I remember thinking like, oh man, like fuck this dinner and this house and I don't want to be here. But like, I, I, I'm going to like try to lean into some question that's actually authentically real that I'm actually carrying. I yeah. don't remember the exact words, but it was something like, I, I'm really carrying a question of like, why a lot of the more successful people I know are the least happy. It was something like that. And, yeah. and I think it was partly because I was like, overwhelmed by this house we were sitting in. And I was trying to share something real. And I, I think the reason I bring it up is because so often I spend time with founders who are trying to impress or connect with someone as part of their job, whether it's an investor or a reporter or a prospective employee. And that one night I said something that out of a place of, I don't even know, insecurity and frustration at being at this event, that I I was just trying to share something real. And much to my surprise, you pulled me aside after and, and said, can we chat? And I had had all these interactions with reporters in prior years that came out of, you know, fundraising announcements or hiring announcements or mm-hmm. whatever that were just so non-authentic. And my experience chatting with you was so different. So I think the context for me was such a lesson in what is possible when you actually share something real, even when it's from, coming from a place of like insecurity and fear and anxiety being at some event you don't want to be at. Yeah. And I get it from the perspective of an entrepreneur who who needs to sort of project this image, you know, that that everything's great, that they're going to change the world and being vulnerable in front of a reporter feels very very risky. So, I appreciate that you were you were willing to be honest and to be authentic. Yeah, I as I said it was a it was a lesson and then what was kind of magical for me was when we when you and I actually sat down for coffee shortly thereafter we just chatted as humans and i'm just glad it's led to here and for me it was it was one of many but it was a a sharp point of instruction around taking something that i would have previously thought of as this businessy thing i'm at this networking event now i'm talking to this reporter but coming at it as my coach at the time challenged me to do from a place of authenticity it just resulted in something so much 
better than what I could have crafted. I thought that was um, interesting context. And so I'm curious to turn back to that question of, of how you might coach leaders or founders who are thinking early in their journey about how to have their own maybe more authentic or more human interactions with mm. writers like you. What advice you might have and how you might guide them? That's a good question. Honestly, you know, I I don't know how much this is a piece of advice. At least something that I I've tried to do in my role and I think I think it applies to people on both sides of the table is to remember that you're sitting in front of a human being and that the point is really just to have a good conversation. At least for me that that's again sort of the more fruitful moments. So, of course, as a journalist, I'm always going to sort of advise entrepreneurs to sort of let their guard down a little bit, like let let me into your your world and and your mind a little bit and it's completely up to you know, the the founder to what extent they want to do that. And you know, it's an act that requires mutual trust and you know, if you're if you're willing to do that, obviously you need to sort of know who you're speaking with as well. And, and the same goes for, for the journalist. You need to know who you're speaking with and, and sort of what, what the story is. But for me, at, at bottom, I think it's important to just maintain a sense of curiosity. You know, if I think about an entrepreneur going into one of these conversations, I mean, it's entirely possible that a journalist might approach you with an angle that maybe you're not thrilled about or, or maybe it's, it's not exactly the story that you want to tell. At the same time, what's in it that might be true and authentic? You know, there might be something in there for you anyway. At the same rate, I I understand that, of course, truth matters. You you need to sort of get your story out there, obviously. But it's it's a meeting of minds, for sure, and as, as all human conversations are. So, you know, between you and that journalist, you're, you're, sort of stumbling towards, you know, a, a version of, of the truth. And to get very tactical for a moment, for someone looking yeah. at this that's thinking, wow, I would love to collaborate with Lindsay or someone like her and, and look at themes and stories, and I'm willing to be open and share some of my experience. H- how do they find you? How do they reach you? Do they tweet at you? Do they email you? Like, <laughs> how, how does all this work? Yeah, I, I get emails. I get tweets. I get LinkedIn requests. I think the method doesn't matter as much as the content of the pitch. So, you know, unfortunately, the the reality is I I don't have as much time as I would like to just sort of chat with people, uh, like open-ended. I would love more time to do that, but the reality is I I can't. And so uh, the more focused, you know, the messages, the more likely it is to be received well. And then, as I mentioned earlier, giving some sort of context. So, you know, at, at Inc., we don't typically tend to write about, you know, fundraising rounds or just the average company launch. If, if that's the kind of story you're pitching, you'd probably be better off pitching, you know, like a tech crunch or something that's very, very news driven. Inc. is is all about sort of, I like to think of it as the, the story behind the, the company or behind the entrepreneur. And so, so there needs to be something about the story you're pitching that adds to, I think, the kind of broader conversation about entrepreneurship. And of course, our angle is always, 
what can our readers learn from your experience? And so the more you're willing to divulge, you know, oh, I made this this huge mistake, but this is what I learned from it, or this is the challenge I'm currently facing, and you know, this is how I I think I should approach it, but I'm not sure. I mean, those are those are all really interesting human moments that make for wonderful stories. And, you know, that that's kind of particular to ink. But generally speaking, whatever pitch you send, once you've you've made it specific, really, really hone the length of that pitch. If I get pitches that are longer than a paragraph, you know, I frequently don't get through them, unfortunately. So brevity is excellent. But lastly, just showing that you sort of understand the publication and and to the extent that you can that you you understand what the writer is interested in and that's that's a harder challenge and maybe that is a place where you know a PR professional can help you focus because this i mean this is a lot of work it it is why this is like a full-time job to pitch journalists but really sort of getting to know the person who's potentially writing your story i think will always help you that makes sense. And one of the best hacks I ever learned on how to get in front of investors was to go through other founders and build relationships there yes. first, and then seek warm introductions from founders that are bought into your story. And I'm, I'm guessing that's a pretty good route here as well. Does that land? Absolutely. Absolutely. If, if if you now were to send me an email saying, Lindsay, I want you to meet this really interesting entrepreneur, I would absolutely take that meeting. Oh, I've got the magic green light. It's good to know. <laughs> in comes the <laughs> tsunami of emails. Yeah, I, I do think that's important. And I guess, you know, what other thing I would add is to think about your relationship with a reporter as not just getting the story out there that you want to tell. You know, frequently I will, I'll do a story on a founder and then some weeks or months will go by and on a completely different topic, I'll think, oh, that founder would probably be good on this this story as well. And so I think, you know, sort of being open to why a reporter is interested in you, it may not be, again, the, the sort of storyline that you were hoping for, but that's how relationships start with reporters. I have a point of curiosity there that I think might be a question for us to begin to pivot toward the, the themes that, that we explored together in the piece that you did. And the point of curiosity, it kind of relates to the to current events where we're seeing that the tremendous power and responsibility of the press in our broader world right now, mm-hmm. with the election, with the influence of tech, uh, with questions around American influence in the world. I think my curiosity is something like we're, we're seeing such tremendous power of technology and business. It's coming up big time with the election this year and also with the, the social movements we're seeing and the environmental questions. And I'm curious is there a particular responsibility there in this marriage of business leaders and reporters that comes to mind for you? And if so, how can we maybe even better collaborate on that responsibility than we have in the past? Hmm. Well, let me first talk about it from the angle of, I guess, what I see as my responsibility. You know, you're absolutely right. This has been a, a time of reckoning for people in all industries, journalists, most especially. And I know for me anyway, it has been a moment to really examine my own blind spots as a writer. And I think one of the most obvious 
ways to find those blind spots is to examine who, who I'm talking to. Am I talking to the right people? Am I talking to enough people? Am I talking to too many people in, in one group or that have had one particular experience? You know, honestly, I would say that it's forced me to really rethink, you know, who, who and what perspectives do I think are, are important right now? And so I've embarked on a series of pieces for Inc., looking at Black founders and sort of what their life experiences have been. And it's been incredibly educational, incredibly fulfilling to tell these stories. And it makes me look back on, on my body of work and realize, you know, I can't believe it. It took this, what's been happening in our country for me to pitch and write these kinds of stories. I'm glad I'm doing it, but, you know, I'm sad that it took me this long. So, you know, in terms of how journalists work together with, with entrepreneurs, I don't know if it's unrealistic to, to propose this, but I mean, one thing that occurs to me is, is really sort of examining, are you the right person to tell this particular story? Do you know a founder who would be a stronger, a stronger voice, whether that's, you know, a black founder, an, an immigrant founder? I think what we can do as humans is help each other find the stories that need to be told. I love that. Yeah, I think even just hearing you talk, one of the points of responsibility that I'm going to carry out of this conversation is how can you and I be partners in, in bringing more interesting points of view to stories, as well as surfacing themes that I think are helpful and helpful for people to hear. I appreciate you raising that. Today's episode is brought to you by Pluto Pillows. In all of life's little ups and downs, sleep is perhaps your most important ally. Pluto provides a personalized pillow directly to your door. The only irony here for me is that I loved my Pluto pillow until my wife stole it, and now she loves it. Personalized for me, but no longer mine. Well, still a win for the family, I suppose. Check out PlutoPillow.com. All orders receive free shipping and a 100-night guarantee. Today's episode is also brought to you by Sanity Labs. Sanity Labs provides founder and executive coaching designed by founders for founders. If you have considered hiring a CEO coach, but had a hard time finding one who really knew what it felt like to be in the founder or CEO seat, be sure to check out Sanity Labs. Sanity bridges leadership development with actual tactics for company building to ensure you are not alone in the hardest parts of your role. Visit sanitylabs.co for more details. Reminder before we return to the episode, if you have any questions or topics you'd like covered in an upcoming episode, or any feedback at all, please email us at questions at the sanitypod.com. Now back to Lindsay. I'd love to dive in a bit to the themes that we explored together and, and what drew you into that. And maybe an yeah. interesting starting point would be just for you to share what curiosities you brought into some of our early conversations and what sparked your interest in, in the themes that we were beginning to discuss. So you actually wrote something in one of your blog posts that I think very succinctly summarizes the sort of point of tension that was at the heart of this story. And this quote appears in the story. You wrote, why do we work so hard to build something from nothing to against all odds after years of iteration, get something out in the world that people actually love and use only to spend a significant portion of our time daydreaming about getting the fuck out. That, to me, 
just gets at the heart of the issue. And, and after reading that, one of the most interesting questions for me was, why do founders start their companies, their particular companies? And I don't mean the why that they give investors or customers, or even the why that they typically give journalists, you know, and, and those may be very valid whys to sort of have as part of their corporate story. But I'm talking about the, the life experiences that drove them to think that starting something from nothing could be one of the most fulfilling ways to spend their time. And then I think the follow-up question to that is, was it really as fulfilling as you thought it would be? And I was interested in finding people, and you know, mostly this was centered around, around you and, and your answers to this question, but exploring just more broadly people who've sort of done the work to be able to honestly answer that question. Oh, man, I'm excited to get into this with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm being brought back to a coaching session that I had. It's been some time ago, but it's top of mind because I wrote about it in a post last week where this founder and I were talking about her reasons for starting her business and what she was hoping to get out of the business. And to her credit, she got super real. And we ended up talking quite a bit about some childhood challenges that she had had and some feelings of being an outsider in school, being an only child in her family, and at times feeling out of place. And it, it came to be that for her, when we really stripped down many layers into what was driving her, which is something that we sometimes do in this coaching work, we got to this point where she had tears welling up in her eyes and she shared, you know, that I, th I think if we can, if this company becomes a leader and a defining brand in the space, and it's it's living on 10 years from now, what I will feel is that I finally know that I'm valuable and I finally know I belong. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, I, I felt like I was getting such a gift in that session because it her words crystallized so much for me of what I'd been looking for. And I'm getting chills now just going back in my memory to that moment. And it's so much easier to hear and see when someone else is sharing it than it is in your own head. But what I could yeah. see sitting there with her was the next question, which was, is a company the right tool for the job? Mm -hmm. And that continues to be an area of just huge exploration in my work with founders. I'm curious what you saw as you dove into speaking with people that were maybe consciously or subconsciously asking a similar question. Where did it go next for you? Well, one of the, I think, most crucial interviews that I did for the story was, was speaking to Jerry Colonna at, at Reboot, who I know you've, you've spent a lot of time talking with as well. And through his own experiences, through you know, the experience of coaching leaders at Reboot, you know, he's really sort of come up with this philosophy around what happens when when founders suddenly look up and and realize you know they're they're unhappy and they're they're not exactly sure why and for me one of the things he talked about that i think is really important to answering these questions is this idea around entrepreneurs kind of merging their sense of identity with their with their company and for him you know he said his work is largely about figuring out why the entrepreneur is doing this and, and they're 
are a number of potential reasons. And really, it's not even limited to entrepreneurs. I mean, I think anyone who immerses themselves so obsessively in, in their work, whatever, whatever it might be, is maybe at risk for doing this, merging their, their identity with their work. But for him, you know, he he says that this largely has to do with unresolved issues from childhood and that anyone in a leadership position carries forward these sort of unresolved or, or broken aspects of personality from, from childhood. And, and so he talks about, I think his, his book, the subtitle of his book is about growing up and, and sort of like the process of growing up is sort of realizing what are these issues, where do they come from? and sort of letting them surface. And I, I don't want to say that this is the rule because every entrepreneur has their own unique story, but I did find amongst the many founders that I talked to, not all of whom appear in the story, that there is something in their past, something in their childhood that they're trying to work out through running their company or through leading a team of people. And, and I find that really interesting. And sometimes they're very aware that that's happening. And other times it's sort of, they seem to be sort of realizing it in, in the moment as I, as I started to ask about their past and how they grew up and what their family life was like. And, you know, I would say another theme that was reoccurring had to do with what happens to relationships when an entrepreneur starts to, again, merge their identity with their company? And many times, the relationships that exist outside of the company are the ones that, that start to suffer. And, and of course, as you know, with your own experiences with, with co-founders, relationships inside the company can start to suffer as well. But the experience of starting a company is so intense, and there's so many reasons why, why people consciously or unconsciously start to turn their backs on on the people who really made them feel loved or supported which it sounds so counterintuitive that that would happen but you know sometimes it's just a sheer amount of time you know entrepreneurs are so devoted to their companies that basically it starts to exclude anything that's not that doesn't have to do with the company and and a lot of this I've I've gotten from speaking to psychologists and things in in the work of doing this story, founders can also start to feel like this very intense experience of starting a company is something that, you know, people who haven't done it can't relate to. And so they start to feel this, this sort of widening gap between them and everyone outside of the entrepreneurial community. But they might feel guilty, you know, to, to pursue a friendship, to take the time to actually, you know, spend with other people is taking them away from their work. And that's, that's time that really should be spent on developing their, their companies. So there's so many reasons why, why this can happen. But I think the, the reoccurring theme is that the more you push away the people who, who sort of recognize you as something more than a founder, as a, a sort of full-fledged human being, um, that's when your, your sense of perspective gets completely out of line at least based on, on the people I, I spoke to, but I should turn it over to you and, and ask if that resonates with you. No, it resonates very much, of course. I am actually finding it clarifying and inspiring to hear you talk about 
the touch points that you've experienced talking to so many different founders about these themes. I think it's a similar gift to what I receive in coaching, but I think hearing it even from a different lens is probably going to be helpful to a lot of founders that are listening to this because there's a trap there. I was sitting with a founder just a few days ago and she was really suffering and suffering with anxieties and self-doubt that are very much a part of a leadership role and very much a part of being a CEO or a founder. And the most painful part of witnessing her suffering was not the suffering itself, not her feelings of anxiety or her feelings of self-doubt, but it was this second layer of guilt and self-frustration that went something like, I have it so good, my problems are so small, why am I suffering? And Jerry, who you mentioned, I've heard him call this the second arrow, where the first arrow is the suffering itself, and the second arrow is this feeling of self-loathing around the suffering. And I think mm. what I'm what I'm loving as you're sharing it is just the normalization of hearing you, a, a curious reporter who dives into these personal stories with people, talk about how common the suffering is. And I'm curious if you'd be up for saying more about kind of how you witness that from the sidelines, because yeah. I think it I think it may be of service. I think a lot of particularly first-time founders are wondering if it's just them. Mm-hmm. And then I think they're feeling this sense of an additional layer of shame where it's like from the outside, things are good, but I'm having such a hard time. And what else you might share there that's come up for you? Yeah, I think what is so striking is that this can happen at any stage in a founder's journey, whether they're still trying to get their company off the ground or they've actually experienced some success. I spoke to you know, founders who still haven't raised the money they need and they're now they're grappling with what's happened with COVID and it's just an, a really stressful time in their lives. But then I've also spoken to people who've sold their companies or who've raised hundreds of millions of dollars and they also have felt these feelings of, of unfulfillment and, and loneliness. And so I think that's, that's striking, number one, is just that it doesn't really seem to discriminate. And then I think the other thing that struck me is that even founders who approach their companies with a very strong sense of purpose, they're also not immune to these feelings. This this is a point in the story, you know, with with a lot of the coaches and psychologists that I spoke to, they they talked about how important, you know, mission and purpose can be for for actually finding your work fulfilling. But the reality is that what can feel like a strong mission or or purpose, there's no guarantee that that will continue to feel like a strong mission or or purpose, and so. Being open to sort of constantly having that dialogue with with yourself about what is fulfilling about this? Do I still find it fulfilling? I think that seems to be anyway a, a very important part of this journey. But I, it also makes me think of a founder I spoke to who he's in that category of founders, you know, still trying to get their companies off the ground and then COVID hits. And what was heartbreaking in this conversation was that I mean, he, he was not one of these founders who has been able to raise money. And I think there are all sorts of economic and, and honestly racial issues around that. He's a black founder. 
in a, a very white area of the country. And his story, the moment that he's living through right now, he's not only trying to get his company off the ground, but but once COVID hit and he had no revenue coming in, I mean, there were real questions about simply providing for, for his own basic necessities, let alone, you know, trying to keep this company afloat. And what was amazing to me is that he was very attuned to what he needed as a founder to stay grounded, what ultimately fulfills him. And he for sure, you know, thinks his company is doing really important work. And it is, it is a mission-driven company designed to, to help kids, particularly from underprivileged backgrounds, leave high school with, with some really concrete job training. So, so there's a very clear mission there. But he, he was very clear that he needs things in his life that make him feel alive. And he's very aware of the fact that the company can't always do that for him. And so I found that really striking because here's a founder who's not had any of the success that a lot of these other founders I spoke to had. And yet and he was very psychologically aware of kind of where his value came from. And I think that's so important, not just for entrepreneurs, but really for anyone who who's sort of grappling with this question of whether or not their work makes them happy. Yeah, I love that. And what a point of instruction for the rest of us to take from this founder. I think this Silicon Valley myth of the the 80-hour founder who slaves away at her business to the um, abandon of everything else, it's time for that to be laid down and for us to acknowledge that um, an attempt to to lead a business or any other organization at the expense of everything else in your life is is just not a recipe for success. So I appreciate you highlighting that example for us. As you're talking about mission-driven companies and that connection between founders and the purpose of the work, I'm also just sensing an awareness that that can be a, a double-edged sword, right? Where if consciously or subconsciously, most founders are working out different elements of their own worth and their own desire for impact on the world through the work in the business, and then we layer on a an element of this I'm responsible for leading this organization that's trying to make this change in the world. I I can see on the one hand that at times being very energizing, and I can see at other times that being a second arrow of its own type where it's not only am I failing at helping this company succeed in the way that I would like, but now we're also failing at this greater mission. And I think that's interesting to note as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious as you spoke with I guess just like founders at all different stages, not so much of the company, but different stages of their own exploration of these questions. And as you talk to coaches and therapists, like, did you see lights at the end of the tunnel in any of these stories or many of these stories? And and if so, what did that look like? Yeah, I think I will say everyone I spoke to, I think, had had reached a point in their journey where they were sort of aware that these are issues they want to work through. And so I don't think I spoke to anyone who thought, I'm unhappy, but I'm not sure why. And, and you know, I'm in total despair. I mean, I think everyone was pretty oriented towards working through this. I think working through these issues takes a lot of different forms. I think most people were very open to, you know, either seeing some kind of a, a startup coach or a therapist or psychologist as well. And the Black founder I mentioned earlier 
um, I was so struck by by some of the things he said about he realized very early on in his journey that you know he had never ha- really had leaders in his own life, and so he was very aware like how can I be a leader if I don't get some leadership training because you know I haven't really seen a lot of leaders in my own life, and so some of the self awareness you know of the founders I spoke to was was really striking, and I think just the notion that rather than than seeing it as a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, these are, are big enough questions that the journey to exploring them is sort of more important maybe than than like a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm curious to maybe make it more personal for you as we approach the end of our conversation here. As you went through these conversations, my sense is that founders listening to this will totally get it. We'll totally get the the difficulty of the topics and the experience of suffering and self-doubt and founder anxiety, depression, like these are themes that are very common in the founder community, if not talked about often enough. I, I'm carrying this awareness that anyone listening who maybe is not a startup founder might listen to this and think, wow, like who are all these overprivileged people that are leading yeah. businesses that are caught up in their own suffering? I'm wondering for you as someone who is very close to this community, but coming at it through the lens of of a reporter, I'm curious how the experience was for you personally, and if it had any impact on the way that you think about any of these themes in your own life or your own work. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I was drawn to this story is these these are sort of life's biggest questions. You know, what what makes me happy? What what do I find fulfilling. And, and I think I wouldn't have pursued the story if, if those weren't interesting questions to me just as a human being. You know, going through the process of speaking with founders, you know, about their anxieties, their depression, I, you know, you can't go through that experience and not be sort of touched by everyone's honesty and, and willing to be open. And for me, you know, the, the act of becoming a more empathetic listener is really important as a journalist, but but also just as a human being. And so that for me in a way is, you know, one of the most fulfilling reasons to do a story like this. And I think there aren't a lot of opportunities to have questions like this, you know, particularly in, in a news cycle that sort of prizes the new and the novel and and the dramatic. I mean, there's plenty of drama in the story. And, you know, if I may say so, I think it's a good read. It's very well written. We know that much. <laughs> Thank you. There, yeah, there, there aren't a lot, of, a lot of opportunities to have conversations like these. And I'm very acutely aware of kind of the privilege of being on the receiving end of these stories. I mean, everyone had to, to trust me enough to like explore some of these deeper issues. And there were many moments in having these conversations where, you know, I'm no psychologist, I'm no therapist, but you know, when you're asking someone to relive essentially traumas of their past, you know, you're, I'm sort of putting myself in the situation of being, being the other person in that chair. And and I, I was just very aware during the process of reporting and writing this, that I wanted to, to respect people's stories and sort of do them justice. I think I have one final question if you're up for it. And um, I'm aware that you're a parent to a young child as am I. Mm -hmm. I often think of the questions I'm carrying through the lens of being a parent and what I would wish for, for my son, Marco. 
I'm curious as you speak with these different people who are approaching work and success and value and personal growth in each of their own different ways, if any hopes come up for you, for your own children as they grow up and and think about these questions for themselves? Absolutely. I think the most central theme, you know, in, in this story, and then also when I, when I think about my relationship with my son is being clear on where, where your value really comes from. And there are all sorts of ways to do great work in the world. And that doesn't always have to take the form of, you know, this mission driven company that's trying to, to do good in the world. Although I think those are, those are great and wonderful. And if my son wants to do that, I will 100% support him. But, you know, I also think that one must find their, their value completely outside of, of the work they do as well. And so I guess I view my role as a parent as sort of guiding and hopefully making clear to my son that, yeah, that his, his value exists outside of his achievements, outside of his work, outside of what other people think of him. And if I can do that successfully, that might be my, my most important job as a parent. Beautiful. Lindsay, thank you so much for taking time to talk today. And thank you so much for inviting me into the work that you did on this piece and for having the courage and clarity to to come into some of these big themes. I, I hold a lot of gratitude for what you've done here. And I look forward to partnering with you going forward on on more of this work. So thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. And, and thank you again for just sharing your story with me. That's today's episode. Please follow and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Your positive reviews mean the world to us. Lastly, if you have any questions or topics you'd like covered in an upcoming episode, please email us at questions at the sanitypod.com. Thank you so much for listening.